He's been a vampire. When you're a vampire, you become very sexy. Ow! A rock monster. Hey, 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 take it easy, man. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Korg. I'm kind of like the leader in here. I'm made of rocks, as you can see, but don't let that intimidate you. You don't need to be afraid unless you're made of scissors. <laughs> Just a little rock, paper, scissors joke for you. And now he's Hitler. Sheesh, that was intense. What am I going to do? No idea. Got it! I've negotiated. Burn down the house and blame Winston Churchill. Or negotiate. Taika Waititi's been the talk of Toronto International Film Festival for Jojo Rabbit, the anti-hate satire he not only acted in, but wrote the screenplay and directed. And his fans showed their love. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly, and today on The Detail, how a funny film about Nazi Germany split the critics and how Whitey got such a high-risk project over the line. MediaWorks Entertainment Editor Kate Roger has been in Toronto, and when I caught up with her, it was two in the morning over there. It's been three days where the talk of the town has been J-Lo in a, a film about strippers called Hustlers uh, and Jojo, uh, which is Jojo Rabbit, a film that Taika um, YTT has bought to TIFF. It's such a big festival, this Toronto International Film Festival. It's a massive springboard into the North American market. So I guess you have Cannes in Europe, which is huge when it comes to the actual marketing and the business of film. And then you have Toronto, uh, which on this side of the world is is pretty much that too. It is huge and it dominates the whole city because it's a public festival as well as a trade festival. Uh, and just lots and lots of talk. Jojo Rabbit honestly came in uh, to this festival as one of the most talked about films. And on the night of the premiere, without question, uh, we were told it was the biggest press line of any of the premieres so far and also the most sought after ticket. Anybody that wanted to go the queues for the rush line were um, about three round the block. So it was, yeah, it was definitely one of the films to watch. And after the showing, you know, I saw a film of him out with the crowds and they just absolutely love him. They were chanting and he was doing selfies with them. He was blowing kisses. He, he seemed to really enjoy it. He loves it, and in fact, uh, just this evening, he got his award uh, as the director. Uh, they honour um, lots of people in the craft uh, of filmmaking here each year, and he is the director that they're honouring this year, and they call him the rock star of um, filmmaking <laughs> at the present, and he's kind of got this thing. You're absolutely right, and you watch uh, people on the street that just stop him, but in really big crowd situations like that, um, we could hear the crowd chanting. We were on the red carpet inside, and we could hear them going crazy for him outside and the Canadians just love him uh, and Thor Ragnarok just changed everything for him uh, we've always loved him obviously since Two Cars One Night and then Boy and Wilder People uh, but then he went on to enter into the Marvel Universe and when you do that you crack open the door into this enormous fandom Sharon, it's huge uh, and he just took that film and ran with it and they will love him till the end of recorded <laughs> time uh, for reinventing Thor so I don't know, he's got this really great way of connecting with his fans uh, when he's either in the public or, or on a one-to-one. He's very engaging and he's just very tighter and it's actually pretty awesome to watch. You know him well but when I look at him I think any minute he's going to crack a joke and it doesn't matter what he's asked but he's just so naturally funny. He's naturally 
hilarious and it's a it's an interesting kind of humor uh, I chatted to him in the done interview we had today to talk about Jojo Rabbit because it's it's a pretty fascinating film he's using comedy as the gateway like he did with boy to really crack into the humanity and the heart of something but this is a much bigger thing this is talking about Nazi Germany he plays Hitler in the film for goodness sake it's he's he's pretty much breaking the lid on subject matter that just going to be controversial in the sense that he's decided to turn Hitler into a comedy. It's not something that hasn't been done before. Mel Brooks has done it in the past. It's not as fresh as you might like to think it is, but it's just very Taika because he takes us on this journey where Taika is playing Hitler, the imaginary friend of a, of a 10-year-old boy in Hitler, Germany. And this this kid is kind of blindly um, fanatical about the Fuhrer and wants to become part of Hitler youth. And it's looking at the war uh, from the eyes of of a 10-year-old boy, and he manages to mine that story for such extraordinary emotional nourishment. It's quite frightening. Today, you boys will be involved in such activities as war games, ah! ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Russ? Of course you can. comes to... And he does it using comedy, and that's pretty much what he says. He says he doesn't like to think of it as tricking the audience, but he kind of lulls us into this uh, sense of security and, and, and comic relief, and then he manages to sort of, what he said in my interview, sort of give you the sucker punch where um, he allows you to connect to the heart of the story. I'm the enemy. You're not a Nazi, Jojo. You're a 10-year-old kid who likes dressing up in a funny uniform and wants to be part of a club. So he's got that kind of really inimitable humour. And we can say it's Kiwi humour and we can pretend to own it and to own him, but it's actually very Taika humour. And the fact of the matter is the rest of the world is ready for it. And he made it work on the Marvel Universe and, um, in my opinion, has absolutely made it work with Jojo Rabbit. But how did he get this one over the line? I mean, a funny film about Hitler. How did he persuade the people with money that this was going to be okay. Hugely risky. Big risk and I spoke to Carfew, um, the producer on the red carpet last night about this and <laughs> and he said that he had it ready to go well before Saw and Saw just opened the wallet. That's pretty much what it was. So uh, he'd already written it, he'd tried to get it made and they hadn't had any um, luck getting it made but um, he just got a lot more power when Saw Ragnarok did what it did uh, and that's how they got it made because it happened pretty quickly after that and I, I don't know whether it was because they saw a rough cut of Thor and just thought let's go uh, where they realised they had a real star on their hands and he showed them and they said yep you can do that. Um, so I don't know uh, you know, how, whether it was days or weeks but um, it was certainly something as he's had on the boil well before Marvel came along. I'm reading that Searchlight has been gearing up for the criticism so the criticism is expected and it's almost been a full time job for the company. It's been gearing getting ready with, I suppose, its response to the criticism. Oh, I think they would have to be. You can't really take subject matter like Nazi Germany and not expect that you're going to get some backlash. Uh, and also, they will have seen at least a rough cut of the film, if not the entire film. They knew what they had on their hands. They knew it was going to provoke conversation. And it's done just that. I'm, I'm, it's pretty much divided uh, Toronto slap bang down the middle. You've got um, certain critics across the board from The Guardian to The Independent to The Hollywood Reporter to IndieWire uh, to Collider and Deadline and they are almost 50-50 split and it's not like, oh it was okay it was 
absolutely loved it, absolutely hated it. Um, and some saying it's going to get awards, it should be nominated for adapted screenplay and little Roman Griffin Davis is an absolute star and, and he may do well in awards season. And then you've got others saying that it actually was pretty smug and a little bit too once over lightly and this is not the subject matter that you, you make comedy out of. So it's it, if they were gearing up for controversy, um, that's what they've got. Would all that bother Taika, you know, the criticism? I don't think anybody that spends that much time and pours that much love into a, a script that he adapted from a book that his mum gave to him and that he professed on stage at the end of the screening was pretty much his love letter to his own mother and to solo mums everywhere, that you would come out of that and not find that criticism was going to scrape you under the skin. <laughs> We're all human beings. Mm. I don't know. Um, I also understand uh, his confidence. I had a really fascinating uh, sit down with him. It would be a year and a half, two years ago now, and it was before Saw, and he was about to embark on that journey. He'd just done Wilder People. He'd just cracked 40. And he said he said to me, Kate, I'm, I'm just, I've turned 40, and I realised that I've got to stop caring what other people think of me. Uh, and he said, and once I realised that, it just gave me so much more confidence. And and if I think about what he's done since that conversation, he pretty well did <laughs> crack into it. Um, and you have to take criticism from the people you trust, I suspect. You can't operate in a vacuum. You're also making films for people to watch. Uh, so it's trying to find that, that fine line between making, being creatively true to yourself but also delivering for an audience. But also, you know, it's the business of film and there's no filmmaker that doesn't understand that they're making a film that needs to, A, make money, but that their reputation needs to, to stand next to it as well. I mean, all I've got, guys, is creativity. That's it. That's my job. You know, uh, at the moment, I happen to be a filmmaker, but it's not my job. It's just my job is to express myself and to share my ideas and my point of view. It happens to be that I'm using filmmaking right now, but you know, I've, uh, throughout the years, I've done lots of different things. Um, I started off my background as painting and, and visual art. You know, so I, and, and it's varied from like the kind of like the serious and slightly um, sort of um, tongue-in-cheek and, um, and kind of um, sometimes political, but, um, you know, always fun. You know, if I can try and make it fun, then that's, you know, that for me is what, what being creative is about, is, being, is having fun and looking at life through like a, sort of the lens of a child, really. Did you think how soon he was adopted by the Sundance Film Festival into their creative program? Uh, you know, you, you knew that he was destined for good things way back when. And, you know, you don't get your short film nominated for an Oscar and expect that you're going to go under the radar for the rest of your life. And I think, you know, the interesting thing is it's first comedy, Eagle vs. Shark, did nothing for me. Um, it's one of those little cult films that lots of people fell in love with, but I didn't, didn't oh. float my boat at all. Uh, but then Boy came along. Kia ora, my name is Boy. And welcome to my interesting world. My favourite person is Michael Jackson. Want to see some Michael Jackson dance moves? And we knew we had something really, really special on our hands. And I remember sitting there as the credits went down. And I, 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 he makes me cry every time. I had a gut full of that, actually. <laughs> I was a sobbing mess at the end of JoJo. And he made me cry in the interview today as well. So I'm sick of Tiger making me cry. But he has that way. And maybe for me, you know, comedy is my gateway drug into accessing my stone-cold reviewer's heart. Because he does kind of lull you into it. And will do people, Sam Neill is also here at Toronto. And I had a sit-down with him. 
time yesterday to discuss a film that he's made here with Susan Sarandon called Blackbird. And we were having a good chinwag after the interview about Taika and because um, Sam likes to, you know, take the mickey out of Taika whenever he can <laughs> and vice versa. Uh, but he just had a look of a kind of a proud father about it. He he knows that Taika has already been let out into the world. Um, we can claim him all we like and we can be proud of him and uh, all those great things. But this film kind of stamps him as a, as a, as a world filmmaker uh, in, a, in a very different way. And uh, it can make us all very proud, but uh, we also have to understand that we have to release him out into the wild and fend for himself and um, do what he needs to do to <laughs> keep himself creatively happy and to entertain the masses as well. Can I ask you why? What, what did he say that made you cry in the interview with him? The thing is, um, and I think as you might know, Sharon, I'm a, an older mum and I had um, a little boy, Max, who's about to turn seven. And um, Jojo Rabbit, uh, he's a little boy who's 10, watching the war unfold in front of him pretty horrifically, uh, even with a bit of Tiger's comedy, a lot of it. Uh, so it's very much a story about Scarlett Johansson's character who's his mother uh, as well which I didn't really get from any of the trailers and obviously I hadn't read the book and she's a very integral part of the story uh, so as a mother and, and as a little boy and watching war unfold through the eyes of a little boy you just can't help and project your own son onto that and imagine the horrors of war so he did that to me and then of course at the end coming on and dedicate it to his mum as well and I just wanted to get a sense of why he wanted to um, dedicate it to his mum and, and how she'd given him their book that Caging Skies that the story is based on. Um, anyway, he got very teary, and I got a little bit teary. It's all good, you know. Oh. You just try and hold yourself together. But <laughs> it's also been three days where we've all had four hours sleep a night, running from screenings to red carpets to interviews, with a whole lot of jet lag. So yeah. can I blame that, please? Okay, no, that? that that's absolutely fine. But that makes me think about his own background. So who am I? I kind of don't really know that myself. Often. I come from New Zealand, and um, I come from these two people um, who met in the early 70s. The woman is Robin. She's of uh, Russian Jewish heritage, and uh, she was a school teacher. And the guy next to her, his name is Tiger, and he is a, a farmer and an artist. I think it feeds into who he is as a storyteller and he's had obviously so much press and so much interest in this role and he, he, he likes to say if, um, if, a, if a brown half-Jewish boy can't take the Mickey and mock Hitler then, then who can? And he's, you know, he's got a lot to say about the world. Uh, he's got a lot to say about New Zealand. He's got a lot to say about racism uh, and bigotry and inclusion and intolerance and tolerance and he's been really outspoken about it. As New Zealander of the year. I'm calling on every one of my fellow Kiwis to help support a very important cause. Racism needs your help to survive. You may not be in a position to give much to racism, but whatever you feel comfortable giving will make a huge difference. You don't have to be a full-on racist. Just being a tiny bit racist is enough. A smile, a cheeky giggle, even a simple nod in agreement. It all adds up and it gives others the message that it's okay. The word. You don't actually have to talk people into it. Just be a bit racist, and they'll feel the social pressure to follow along. My mum says being a bit racist is bad. Oh, shut up, mum. What's in it for me? Uh, nothing. There's no benefit whatsoever to being racist. But ask yourself, what if everyone stopped giving to racism? What kind of future would that be for our children? 
we need to empower him to do that. He, uh, you know, so much controversy when he was New Zealander of the Year and how outspoken and honest he was in interviews uh, about the things that, about New Zealand that he didn't like. Our lakes and waterways are poison and, you know, and we've got a lot to learn um, about looking after the environment and uh, we've got a lot to learn about you know, our depression rates and our suicide rates and our teen suicide rates and child poverty um, numbers and the housing crisis, like the, the, there's a lot of things and the way that we just um, make it so readily available to sell land for foreigners to buy land, to me they just seem like, oh, that's what you should fix before you think about uh, things like money. He has power to create conversation, and I think he has an innate understanding of that. People say we don't want celebrities to have anything to do with politics. What a load of rubbish. They have an enormous amount of power, and they have a platform um, to, to spread, I'm going to sound too evangelical, but to spread love, not hate, in a sense, um, but also to promote conversation about things that make us um, uncomfortable or that we find confronting. So, yeah, his background is fascinating, and the man that he's becoming in front of our eyes is equally so. Mm. What's he like when he's actually working on the set? It seems to me there's a lot of improvising with his directing. Yeah, I get that sense too. I am still waiting for the day, um, and if you're listening to this, Taika, can you please invite me onto one of your sets? I've never had a Taika set visit, oh. uh, but we certainly know that he's very good at releasing B-roll uh, from his uh, um, production video from, from when he is shooting films. And also, I've, t- I've spoken to a lot of people who've worked with him. Uh, when he did Saw Ragnarok, I had this uh, sit down with, with him and Chris Hemsworth and Mark Ruffalo, and honestly, you, uh, you just think you're sitting around with three teenage boys. They were <laughs> hilarious uh, and the connectivity between the men um, was quite profoundly entertaining uh, and it was very clear that the relationship was very strong based on the fact that the, the time they spent on set was obviously a great time. What's next for him Kate? Do you know? Um, apparently, rumour has it he's casting for a film he's going to be shooting in Hawaii uh, about the American Samoan soccer team uh, and it sounds like it's going to be a small little thing that he's going to shoot before he starts on Thor 4, which is going to be shooting in Australia um, in the new year. But he's definitely writing or has written Thor, um, and obviously it's going to have quite a strong, more female angle, this one, Thor, Love and Thunder, with Natalie Portman. And he's been writing and tinkering away with the What We Do in the Shadows TV show, which is a far more collaborative affair. But, I mean, just hold him back, because he's also directed at least one episode of The Mandalorian, which is the hugely hyped Star Wars TV show that John Favreau uh, has been EPing that's also coming out. So it's been a ridiculous two years, last 18 months in particular, for Tyker in terms of output, um, and he doesn't seem to be showing any signs of um, slowing down any time. I just can't, sure. I can't imagine when he gets the time to do all this. No, um, he didn't have an answer for me when I asked him that. And I said, where in God's green earth did you find the time to actually sit down and finish and write Jojo Rabbit and get it into production? But Carthew did um, shed some light on that, saying that obviously he'd written it um, before he'd gotten into Thor. Hey, Kate, can I just ask, has, has it been great or has it just been crazy, a crazy three days in Toronto? It's just amazing to kind of be here. There's a really big New Zealand presence, the after party last night for Jojo Rabbit. Um, there's lots of film commission people here, lots of uh, top producers. Tom Hearn is one of them, um, and Cassie again as well. And uh, Miranda Harcourt uh, is here with her husband, Stuart McKenzie, of course, who 
his daughter Thomason McKenzie is outstanding in the film Jojo Rabbit. Uh, so she's here with another Australian film and also having lots of meetings and, and red carpets. And so it's it's just a really big environment um, for people to talk to the right people, um, be seen, be seen, but also have those conversations that a lot of these people have over over the phone and Skype. So it's it's just a great fest, and I'm always it feels such a privilege to be here. Oh, that's wonderful! And I love the tweet that you um, put out saying that you were taking a photo of the Jojo Rabbit <laughs> poster in Toronto. I think that was before the film, and Taika actually drove past in a car and shouted out to you. Isn't that the weird? You think New Zealand, don't you? You think six degrees yeah. of separation, but you honestly think you can walk down a street at eight o'clock in the morning in Toronto and everything's fine. I had a coffee in my hand. I'd just seen Sam Neill's Blackbird, so I'd been crying my eyes out, Sharon, mascara all over my face. Took the photo, and yeah, I hear my name being screamed out from a blacked out SUV screaming to a halt, and it was just all a little bit surreal. Um, gotta love Toronto. Kate Roger there, and that's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz, made possible by the RNZ NZ On Air Innovation Fund. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Alexia Russell. Kathaki Masalamani is our associate producer. Kakite Ano. 